if we haven't met, like I said earlier, my name is Derek, and I am the director of Chi Alpha. I'm so glad to see you all tonight. This is your first time with us. Thank you for joining us. I'd love to meet you after service. So a few years ago, I was with some Chi Alpha guys, and we decided to go to the WRC, the rec center on campus, and we went to the pool to play volleyball and basketball, something that is not relevant whatsoever, but I think I thought in that moment it'd be really funny to, when I go hang out with these guys to shave and have my first goatee. So and I vividly remember that first night ever with a goatee. So if you have a goatee tonight, it looks great on you. It didn't look great on me. <laughs> Take that away. I wasn't sure I wanted to show that. Put it away. <laughs> Hannah, hurry. thank you, <laughs> Lord. Uh, that was good. I don't want any pictures of that. Every picture I put up there gets sent back to me. Anyways, so that was my goatee. We'll get to that in a second. Anyways, we go to this pool party, and after the pool party, I drive to Walmart, and on my way home from Walmart, I feel like a jolt in my car. And then my check tire pressure light comes on, and I realize I'd popped the tire. No problem. Changing a tire is easy for any adult, right? Wrong. I did not and still do not know how to change a flat tire. <laughs> this is never, boy, I'm sorry. I don't have skills. <laughs> I read books. It's fun. <laughs> Anyways, this had never happened to me before, though. I never popped a tire. So I had no idea what to do. So I pull off to the side of the road, because that seems wise. And I call this friend who's much more mechanically inclined to me. And he says, I'll be there in like 30 minutes to an hour to two hours. We'll see. I'm like, okay, great. Now what do I do? Because Taylor doesn't know how to change a tire either. So I'm sitting there on the side of the road with a stupid-looking goatee, feeling absolutely helpless, feeling very dumb for not learning how to change a tire. And then... Help came to me in the most unexpected way. I see a car start pulling, going behind me, and some older lady gets out, and she starts, like, yelling. I can't quite hear. I I was scared for my life. I'm like, she's about to murder me. I did something wrong. She's yelling, and I'm really nervous. Am I about to die? But then she's like, hey, what happened? To be be very, very honest with you, I think what she said was, hey, what the, insert a swear word, happened. And I explained that I popped tires. She's like, oh, honey, I can help. <laughs> she calls the cops. You got to get here, stat. This kid, I was like 22, popped a tire. And then she, I'm not, this is not made up, I promise you. She goes and gets in the trunk of her car. And she pulls out two of those like reflector vests that have a neon color on them. She's prepared for everything. She's like, hey, take this. And she gives me one. I'm like, oh, all right, that might look kind of cool. So I put it on. I don't want to get hit. She puts hers on because she's got to be safe too. I really don't know why she would have reflector yellow vests in her car. But anyways, as we're sitting there talking, some guy drives really close and almost hits us. And so she, she wants to protect me and help me. So she flips him off for us so I don't have to do it. She is the one who cusses him out and chases him. Says, Get the out of here. And as he's running, she protects me. The cop comes. She explains to the cop what happened. And she stays with me until my friend came to change my tire. On the side of the road, I needed help. And it came to me in the most unexpected way. It came to me in the form of a trucker's mouth, smoking up a storm, angry with other people, but very kind to me, older lady. (laughs) See, I, I needed help in that moment, and I think a lot of us in this world, we don't like to ask for help. For example, we want to go to the store, we want to know exactly what we want to buy, we definitely don't want someone to ask us if we need help, so we look up the aisle number on our app to get directions, and then after we get the item, we proceed to self-checkout, like, God forbid, I do not want to talk to anyone, because the win of Walmart is not needing to speak to another human being. That is when you have succeeded, when you get to do it on your own. We live in a day where we are taught to figure it out, to not depend on anyone. 
The truth is, though, that we will all need help sometimes. This is especially true as we attempt to live a life for God. However, a lot of times in our walk with Jesus, we also don't want to ask for help as we try to follow him. We think, if I just do the right things, then I'll be fine. If I just grip my teeth and bear it, somehow Jesus and I will become close. I'll be a good Christian. We feel like we have to appear to have it all together to our Christian friends so we can do it on our own. Or there's some of us who we do recognize we need help in our relationship with Jesus. We know there's got to be more out there, that what we're doing cannot be all there is. We want to follow God well, but we recognize it's very hard. We can't seem to do the things Jesus asks of us, even though we want to be good. But we just don't know where to start. We don't know where to look for help. We want more from God, but we can't figure out how to get there. It seems like there's some disconnect between where we're at with Jesus and where we want to be, and we do not know how to bridge that gap. And then there's others of us tonight who do not follow Jesus at all. And so maybe, just maybe, even though we'd never want to admit it, maybe we're here and we want to find help in finding our purpose. Or maybe we feel empty. Or maybe we want to know, does any of this actually matter? Is there more to life than the pursuit of happiness? We want help to get some answers. Tonight we're going to kick off a new sermon series entitled Right to More. We've been spending this semester looking at our birthrights as followers of Jesus. We started with learning we have the right to royalty, the right to be a son or daughter to the king of kings, to God himself. And then we learned we have a right to family, or meaning we can do life together with other followers of Jesus, that we can have community. And we will spend the next three weeks talking about our right to more. Right to more than just a bland, powerless walk with Jesus. How Jesus wants to fill us and give us access to more. Because following Jesus should not be dry, but full of life. So when Jesus was on on earth and getting ready to go and die on the cross, he gathers his closest friends together and he starts to give them some parting words. He tells them that he's going to go away soon. And the disciples start to get a little stressed. They're like, wait, you're already leaving. You are the promised Messiah. They had realized Jesus was the chosen one that they'd grown up hearing about. He was the one who's supposed to usher in God's kingdom. And they're thinking, Jesus, how are you going to leave us already? We are not ready for you to go. Jesus' friends were very stressed at the prospect of Jesus leaving them. And Jesus calms him down and says, hey, hold on, hold on, guys. He says, I know this doesn't make sense to you, but it's actually going to be better for you that I leave. Because Jesus says, when I go, I'm going to send you something better. I'm going to give you access to Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be your helper when I'm gone, he says. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me, You will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for this helper we're going to get to learn about tonight, God. And thank you for Maggie's name tag. Amen and amen. Sorry, I just saw it on the ground. I got distracted. It's okay to get distracted when you pray. It happens to me all the time. All right, in John chapters 14 and 16, Jesus explains to his disciples that he is going to leave and he's going to send them this Holy Spirit to help them follow after God when he's gone. So to start tonight, I want to answer this question of who is Holy Spirit? So time for one of the more confusing things about Christianity. So God is actually three in one. This is called the Trinity, which means there's God the Father, God the Son, and God Holy Spirit. And all three of these entities have been together since the very beginning. They've been coexisting, mutually loving each other from the start. 
So God the Father is probably what you think of when you think of God. To me, it's easy to think of like Power Rangers. This might be way before your time. But like the white guy who is like in a bubble and he's like just a talking head. No one understood that reference. I'm getting old. We'll keep going. So that's God the Father, talking head. Then there's God the Son, which references Jesus. And finally, we have Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a he. It's not an it. Holy Spirit is not some mystical force like Star Wars, but rather he's fully God. So in case you do not know, the New Testament in the Bible is actually written in the Greek language. So in John chapter 14, when we read the English words Holy Spirit, it's a translation from a Greek word, and that Greek word is the word pneuma. Say pneuma. Pneuma. Never done that before. I have to repeat. That was cool. I'm going to start doing that more. Pneuma means like life-giving spirit or like our soul kind of. It's actually literally like the breath in our nostrils is what pneuma means. It's a thing that gives you life. So Holy Spirit gives us life. It fills us. It's kind of like movement of air inside of us that keeps us going. See, a lot of times it's easy to understand God the Father and God the Son, but then we think of Holy Spirit as like the crazy uncle that confuses us and makes us feel kind of awkward. So we think, I don't want to deal with that. But... We cannot have God without having Holy Spirit. Avoiding Holy Spirit is avoiding God. It's avoiding life. The breath in our lungs as a follower of Jesus is Holy Spirit. However, even though Holy Spirit has been fully God since the beginning, our access to Holy Spirit has changed throughout time. What that means is before Jesus, in what we call the Old Testament, only certain people had access to this thing, Holy Spirit. No one had access to Holy Spirit at all the time, but just from time to time, God would pour out his spirit or this kind of form of life on prophets, priests, and kings so that people in the Old Testament could have encounters with God. But this only happened once in a while. It was not an always thing because that was the purpose. The purpose of the spirit is to help people meet with God. And before Jesus came, the only way to meet with God was through the spirit being poured out on them, and that only happened occasionally and only for specific special people. But just like many things, Jesus changes this. Jesus promises disciples in our passage here, he says, hey, I'm going to send you this helper or the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send it to all people forever. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We're in forever, right? We haven't graduated out of forever yet. Jesus goes on to die on a cross, and he rises from the grave. And after his resurrection, which means he had a resurrected body, he didn't just like float around as a mystical ghost, but he was a body resurrected. He goes and he meets with his disciples, and he says, okay, guys, I'm going to give you access to that thing, Holy Spirit, I promised you earlier. We read about this in John 20. Jesus said to them again, this is talking to his disciples after he's already resurrected, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus had given them access to the Holy Spirit. All this to say that in the Old Testament, or the time before Jesus, only certain people had access to the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes, he dies on a cross, now everyone has access to the Holy Spirit. Everyone has access to this power and life of God. So if you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. All followers of Jesus have access to Holy Spirit and to, to God. Next week, we're going to talk more about this overflow of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to get real rowdy, come back next week. But for tonight's purposes, all I need you to remember is that all followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit inside of them. 
So right before Jesus goes to leave earth, he promises his followers he's going to give them this Holy Spirit. But why? He says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be your helper, to help you live a life for God. Holy Spirit is sent to help. That's the purpose. So when Jesus says he's sending the helper, which we just read, our English word helper, and you go back to the Greek, is translated into this Greek word parakletos. One translation of this Greek word parakletos, which we translate helper, one translation is also comforter. So one thing Holy Spirit does for us, God inside of us does for us, is it comforts you. So when life gets hard, we often think we're alone, that we have to rely on ourselves, but that's not accurate. Holy Spirit is inside of you, ready and willing to comfort you. But another translation of this word parakletos, or again helper, another translation, and actually the more accurate translation, is like a legal advocate, or like a legal help, specifically like someone who advocates for someone else in court. That's what that word really means. So when John tells us in John chapter 14 and 16 that he's sending the helper, he's sending us someone to help us with these different areas, to advocate for us. So what are these areas? Number one, Holy Spirit helps us obey. John 14, 15 says that if we love Jesus, we are going to obey him. However, I don't know about you, but sometimes obeying God can be a little hard. On our own, we want to do sometimes what pleases us, right? We want to do things that maybe don't necessarily align with what God wants. That's why we can rely on Holy Spirit to help us overcome sin temptation. Sin is doing anything apart from God. So the way we do this is when we're tempted to sin or to do something that God says we shouldn't, we run to God instead of running away from God. I'm going to say that again. This could be a whole sermon. I wish I had time. When you are tempted to do something that is not what God wants for you, do not run away from God. That makes no sense. He is your helper to help you. He's not mad at you. He wants to help you. He's the helper. So when you feel tempted to do something that you know is not God's best, run to Holy Spirit. Run to God. Do not hide in shame in a corner. That is not what God is asking of you. 1426, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. Number two, Holy Spirit helps us remember his teachings. Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and helps us remember the commandments of Jesus. So the way we learn the commandments of God or the way that we learned how to follow God is through the Bible, right? However, the Bible is a big book. And Jesus said lots of things. I have not memorized all of them yet. If you have, that is awesome. Talk to Pastor Victor afterwards. He would love to give you a spelling quiz or something to make sure. So the Bible's got a lot of things. Jesus tells us a lot of things. So sometimes it's hard to remember everything that Jesus tells us to do. Holy Spirit can help us remember different parts of Scripture when we need it. There are times in my life when I'm struggling with something or I'm talking to someone else who's struggling with something, and Holy Spirit will put a Scripture or a Bible verse in my mind either to help me or to help me talk to the person that's struggling, to help, like, encourage us. However, Holy Spirit will not bring things to remembrance that you never learned. You can't, that's not remembering. That's, like, divine wisdom, which would be cool, but isn't as often. So this is one of the reasons I highly encourage you to read the Bible every day. It's giving Holy Spirit scripture that he can pull from when he needs to. Think of it like a filing cabinet. Our job is to put files in the filing cabinet, to put the Bible into our head, into our mind. We do that through reading the Bible. The Holy Spirit's job is to open said filing cabinet 
and pull out the files when we need them and bring them to the forefront of our brain. However, if you open the filing cabinet and it's empty, it's not like they're like, poof, here's a new file, here it goes. No, they need to have something they can pull from, right? So in order for Holy Spirit to bring Scripture to our remembrance or teach us things, we have to read the Bible to learn. Amen? Amen. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Number three, Holy Spirit helps us have peace. Life is full of a lot of things that rob us of peace. You have a bunch of schoolwork, relational issues, a job, money, your future to think about. A lot of things that might be stressing you out. Holy Spirit is sent to give us peace. This is why in times of trials, when I'm stressed to the max, I can find a way, if I center my heart on God, to find peace. That's because Holy Spirit brings it. The biggest way I've seen this in my life where Holy Spirit will send peace to my heart is through the spiritual practice called silence and solitude. Remember, a spiritual practice are just things we do to connect us with God. So silence and solitude is just when we slow our breathing, we slow down our brains, and we practically sit in silence before God. We try to block out noise and distractions, and we try to focus in on God. We calm ourselves down, and we let God wash over us with peace. This past Friday, even, I took my dog on a walk, I put some light music on, and I just walked to my street, silent before God. I was feeling connected. I was so peaceful. I was, like, noticing, like, leaves changing and floating away. My dog was being good for a second. And this brought peace to my soul because I was silent before God. I'll be honest with you, though. The peace kind of ran out when my dog, Cap, started squatting down to take a dump in my neighbor's yard. And since I was focused on, like, the serenity of God... I didn't bring the bags to clean up his duty, so I cut him off, and Cap and I sprint back to my house because I don't want to clean up my neighbor's yard. So I'll be honest, in that moment, I lost some peace from the Lord, but the point of the story is I had it before my dog screwed it up. Maybe don't get silent with your dog. Anyways, another way that we can find peace, this also looks like when you're making a decision, hear me on this, when you're making decisions and you're not sure which way to go? Look to peace from the Holy Spirit. So if you're deciding between two different things, specifically two godly good things, and one option makes you nervous or anxious, it puts worry in your soul, doesn't sit right, that might be God telling you that's not best. Specifically, if the other godly option is making you feel calm and peace, it feels right, it kind of brings peace to your soul, so as you're deciding between two godly options, not one godly option and sinful option, don't be like, yeah, going out and getting hammered, that brought me a lot of peace. That must be the Holy Spirit. No, that's not what I mean. But if you have two godly things and one of them brings you peace and one of them kind of brings you worry or it kind of just works you up a little bit, that might be Holy Spirit guiding you in which direction to go because Holy Spirit's never rushed. He's not anxious. He does not make you feel bad. Shame is not from Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is full of peace. Finally, number four, Holy Spirit helps convict us. It says in John 16, 7 through 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he, as in the helper or Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Holy Spirit comes to convict us, to guide us on our path of following Jesus. Conviction is just like when we feel guilty, 
when we're doing things that are not pleasing to God. Think of it like your conscience. This is, roll with me. It's like in the movies when there's like a little devil and a little angel on your shoulder. Holy Spirit's sort of like the little angel. That's a gross oversimplification. Don't tell any other pastor I just said that because they'll think I'm stupid. But like hopefully you get the picture. It's kind of like the little angel on your shoulder. See, because Holy Spirit's sent to us to help convict us and guide us to follow Jesus and to help us not fall back into sin. So as you fall more in love with Jesus, you are going to start to probably feel bad about things that you never used to make you feel bad. That's because Holy Spirit is taking home in your heart. For example, growing up, I used to watch the raunchiest, worst movies on the planet. If the movie I was watching didn't have an American Pie trailer beforehand, I wasn't going to watch it. That's bad. American Pie is really naughty. Don't watch those. Anyways, as I've fallen more in love with God, Holy Spirit has convicted me of the entertainment I take in. Taylor and I will be watching a show, and then there's this happened multiple times where we both start to feel convicted about it, or we just feel like tension in our spirit. Like it feels off. It feel, makes us feel guilty. So we decide to stop watching it because it's not worth it. Holy Spirit has kept convicting me, and to be honest, my sphere of entertainment has gotten down to just like Marvel. That's all that's left. And the Lord might take that away someday too. And then I'll be watching Bluey or Blippy or whatever my niece watches. I learned about that. I don't know which one it is. It might be both. Both. Hallelujah. See, here's the challenge of following Jesus in the 21st century. A lot of things that are the main parts of our lives, they did not exist when the Bible was written. The Bible does not talk about how much social media you should use. The Bible does not teach you how much TV to watch or what shows to watch or what video games to play. The Bible does not teach you how to date well because dating wasn't a thing. It was all arranged back then. The Bible doesn't teach us any of those things. They're all invented after the time of Jesus. We can apply the principles of the Bible to most of those areas to give us guidance, but there are specific things that are really gray, and we're not sure what the Bible is telling us to do. For example, is it sinful or wrong to sneak candy into a movie theater? I used to think certainly not. Like, if I'm not sneaking milk duds in, what is the point of going to this stupid movie? And then the Holy Spirit convicted me of it, so we don't do it anymore. That doesn't mean you can't. You can sneak movie in. I won't, or movie in. You can sneak candy in. I'm not going to judge you. That's just my conviction. And the only way that would happen is through the Holy Spirit. Because never in my right mind would I want to go and spend $10 on top of the $40 stinking movie ticket to get worse candy. Because the Waterloo movie theater never has milk duds. And it's, yes, I'm angry about it. A little bitter. I'm praying through that too. See, the idea of being convicted about not sneaking candy to a movie would not be in my natural brain. I would never get there. It had to be some otherworldly thing like Holy Spirit to prompt me to put that in my mind. Because it's just the worst. But Holy Spirit's helping me. He's helping me follow Jesus by guiding me on right or wrong when I'm not quite sure what Jesus would do. Hear me, though. This is very, very important. Our inner convictions, or what we think Holy Spirit's speaking to us, it never outweighs the Bible. If we think we hear something or feel something from Holy Spirit that does not line up with what we learn in the Bible, it is not from God. The Bible is our ultimate authority. What the Bible says goes. The Bible outweighs your personal convictions because we might hear wrong. We are not perfect. We can mishear God, right? For example, if you feel really convicted, like, I haven't stolen a car yet in my life, and I just feel really bad about that. That is not from Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will not tell you to steal because the Bible is very clear that stealing is sinful. The Bible trumps your inner thoughts. 
because our inner conviction might be Holy Spirit or might be a, a little bit of a hurt tum-tum because you ate something funky last night. We don't know which one it is. That's why we need to test every conviction, everything we hear from God with the Bible. So Holy Spirit helps us obey, remember, have peace, and be convicted. This is what we learn in John 14 and 16. However, if you notice, there's a chapter in between there. It can be easy to think if you read the book of John that chapters 14 and 16 are about the Holy Spirit and 15 was just a random add-in. But the author of this book, whose name was John, was smarter than that when he wrote his gospel. John placed chapter 15 in between his two lengthy discussions on Holy Spirit on purpose. John 15 tells us one more thing Holy Spirit will help us do. Holy Spirit helps us bear fruit. John 15, 4 through 5 says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we abide in, in God, we will bear fruit. Jesus places this passage here because he wanted his followers to learn to rely on Holy Spirit, to trust the Helper to bear fruit. And there are two main ways that we can bear fruit. The first way is to make disciples, to help other people follow Jesus. This is actually the entire vision of Chi Alpha. I know all of you have checked out our beliefs on our website that I spent hours doing, but I'll just remind you what it says. So the vision statement of Chi Alpha is to make disciples who make disciples, who live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. We want to make disciples who make disciples, and in a couple weeks, that's what we're going to talk about for a while. So I'm going to pause that. Let's go to the other way we bear fruit. It's actually shown to us in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, we are told that we are to walk in the Spirit, that we are to learn to lean into Holy Spirit, and He will guide us. And as we walk in step with the Spirit, it says we will begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Holy Spirit helps us bear the fruit of living a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is a life that is pleasing to God. And also, that's a life that sounds very, very attractive. In our day and age of being surrounded by hate and cynicism and anxiety and anger, these fruits sound kind of nice. But it can be very challenging to do these things on our own. It is hard to always be patient, to be kind, to be joyful, to be gentle, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes those words don't always describe me. So how do we change that? Well, the way we bear fruit is through abiding. Abide just means to remain, to tarry. So the way we practically abide in Jesus or remain in God is we spend time with Jesus. We spend time with him doing these spiritual practices, just like we talked about a few weeks ago. We do things like reading the Bible, worshiping, sitting in silence, fasting, confessing sins, doing things with Jesus. But the main practice or thing we can do to abide in God is to pray. Prayer is the key to getting more from God. On our own, we accomplish very little. With the power of God, we can change the world. The way we connect with Holy Spirit and bear this kind of fruit is only through prayer. 
Prayer is all it is in its simplest form is just communicating with God. It's talking to God, sitting with God. I highly encourage you, if you want one thing from tonight, start praying or talking to God even just a few minutes a day and your life will be forever changed. There's a few practical ways to start a prayer life. One of which is there's this app that I use. It's called Lectio, L-E-C-T-I-O 365. Lectio 365, it guides you through how to pray. It's a really cool app, and I like that a lot. You don't have to do that, though. Another thing is you can go on a daily prayer walk with God. You can pray through the Lord's Prayer. As you see in the Bible, like Our Father, Art in Heaven, you can like pray through that. Or you can work through this acronym that we use around Chi Alpha. It's from a guy named Pete Gregg. The acronym is pretty crazy and hard to remember. It's PRAY. P-R-A-Y. See, that's easy to remember. So the P stands for pause. And pause just means to sit in silence before the Lord, like we've talked about a lot, quieting your soul, listening to God. And then you do R, you rejoice, you thank God for things, you thank him for who he is and for what he's done with you. And then you ask God for things. This is where you give God your prayer requests. You pray over your own life. For me, I have certain things that I pray every day. I pray for certain family members. I pray for our Chi Alpha team. I pray for all of you guys. I pray for various things going on in my life. I ask God. He wants to give us good gifts, so why not ask for him? And then the Y stands for yield. Yield just means like to yield to God or like confess sins to God to surrender to him. And that's how I pray. I pause, I rejoice, I ask, I yield. I don't care how you pray. I just care that you talk to God. Because developing a prayer life will help you abide in Jesus, which will lead you to bearing the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to live a life defined by love, joy, peace, kindness, it starts with simply talking to and being with God. So Jesus sends us Holy Spirit to help us have more in this life. To help us go from a life of anxiety, stress, jealousy, to a life of love and peace. Here's the thing, though. Holy Spirit is not going to force himself upon you. Holy Spirit's not going to look at your chaotic, busy, speedy life and like force peace down your throat. He's not going to be like, you will have joy and like slam it down. That's not how Holy Spirit works. We have to open ourselves up to help. If we think we can do life on our own, if we can think we don't need help, God's not going to force us to take his help. If you want to be, think back to John 15, there's a branch that's connected to the vine. If you want to be like a branch who thinks they can just like grit their way to fruit, like, and then fruit's going to pop out of the branch, he's not going to stop you from growling at him, but that's not going to lead to peace and joy. We will only start to bear fruit when we admit we cannot do it on our own. When we admit we need to be connected to the vine, we need to be connected to God to see him move in our lives. One of the biggest ways, listen to this, one of the biggest ways we quench the Holy Spirit in our lives is pride. If you want more from your life with God, if what you're doing right now is not working, you must be willing to admit you need help. You must be willing to humble yourself and say, this is not it. I don't have it all figured out. We live in the generation of research where we think we know everything, right? Because we can Google it and get 35,000 articles on something. But with God, we must recognize, God, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I don't quite know. And the moment we do that is the moment God is going to meet with you and start saying, now you're where I want you. God does not really want a prideful jerk who says, I got this, God, I don't need you. He just wants someone who says, God, I need you. If you want more from your life with God, you must be willing to admit that you do not have it all figured out. Seeing Holy Spirit move in our lives does not require us to have all the right answers. It doesn't mean you need to have read the Bible every day for 10 years. It does not mean that you have to be perfectly holy. All that God is asking of you is to have a humble spirit who's willing to say, God, I can't do this on my own. Will you help me? He's a good father. What good kid 
or good father, when their kid asks for a gift or asks for help, is going to say, nope, you got this on your own. Like if the kid's learning to walk and they keep falling over, a good dad's not going to like push him down and say, ha, nope, you don't get my help. No, he's going to pick him up. He's going to help him walk, right? And if we do this, if we just simply admit that we need help, Holy Spirit will flood our lives and give you the strength you need to follow Jesus. We live in an age that says you can do anything you put your mind to. That says where there is a will, there is a way. But I challenge you to admit that you don't need to do it all on your own. Actually, newsflash, you cannot do it all on your own. We can't live the life Jesus asks of us without help. And we must be humble enough to recognize this. What does humility do? Humility drives us to prayer. The reason we don't pray is because we don't think we need the help of God. I think a lot of times we think our lack of prayer life is because of a lack of discipline or we don't want to get up early or we just don't have time or too busy. If we were humble enough to say we can't do this on our own, we would pray no matter what the circumstances are. We live in a generation that keeps telling you that if you want to get close to God or if you want to accomplish anything, what they tell you is you just need to work harder. Work harder and you'll get there. That is not from God. What God says is stop working harder. Let's start praying harder. Instead of be driven to work and be driven to run harder, let's be driven to our knees in prayer and say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need help from you, Holy Spirit. Flood my life. As you are stressed in the season of, your, of life you're in, as college gets hard, as relational issues come in, as you're making big decisions, as your world is spinning, we keep, let's just do, do, do more. Do more, do more. Take more classes. Get a better resume. Do more internships. And then we'll be finally happy. That does not work. The key to life with God is slowing down and being with Jesus and humbling ourselves enough to say, God, you got this. If we want to see God move in our hearts, here's the thing. When I read the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, I honestly start to be like, wow, that's not quite my life right now. And that stinks. I want that badly. And if we want a life of love, joy, peace, patience, so on, all we got to do is ask for it and cry out to God and say, help me slow down. In the fast-paced world we live in, we're crying out for a slowed-down spirituality. The main idea tonight is if we admit we need help, Holy Spirit's on the way. If we admit we need help, Holy Spirit's on the way. That is the only prerequisite. Humility, the hardest thing to do in the world. If you're here tonight and your life has been defined by chaos or stress or striving, anxiety, anger, God wants to change that. He wants you to have a life of the Spirit. But God is asking you to take a step tonight to admit you need help. If you want more depth with God, if you want your life to be defined by the fruit of the Spirit, my encouragement to you is when we start worshiping again in a few minutes, just tell God that. Be humble enough to get uncomfortable for God. Or maybe you're here tonight and you don't follow Jesus at all. Again, the first step is admitting you need help. And maybe this idea of getting help and not having to do life on your own is appetizing. I want you to note something. In what we are reading tonight, when Jesus is telling his disciples that help is on the way, and he sees that in the future, he knew that their future help in their current circumstances 
He knew there was something that had to happen in between there. He knew it wouldn't be a magical step, but when he promised them this help, when he gave them this promise of more, he knew it was going to cost him his life. Because Jesus sacrificed everything for you and me. Because naturally we should be left helpless, but Jesus did not want it that way. So Jesus dies a gruesome death on a cross, the most humiliating of deaths possible, to pay for our mistakes and to make way for Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is so important to God. It was so important to Jesus coming that he died for it. He died so we could have access to the Holy Spirit. Why would we not take advantage of that? Now because Jesus died and defeated death, we can have access to God and we'd be forgiven of all our sins. But to receive this, we have to be humble. We must admit that we are fallen, that we've messed up, and that we need to get right with God. And once we admit that, Jesus will run to us and cover our sin and welcome us into his family. If we want, we can keep striving. We can keep attempting to do life on our own. However, if I'm honest, that sounds exhausting. There's a better way. If we humble ourselves and admit we need help, Holy Spirit will flood into our lives, and what's going to flow out of your life will be beautiful. You'll become a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, the people of the Spirit. And then we'll start to see God move on our campus in ways we could never imagine. If you'd all stand with me. Every week at Chi Alpha, we like to give two ways to respond. The first way is if you're here tonight and you're honest with yourself, you haven't humbled yourself to the point of saying you need a savior. You've tried to be your own savior and figure life out on your own. You want to change that tonight and you want to humble yourself to say, God, I need forgiveness. Before I focus on even power or all those things, I just need you to save my soul. And you want to start a relationship with Jesus tonight. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to count to three. And if you want to say, Jesus, I need you, raise your hand on the count of three. Just as a symbol to God, not to anyone looking around, but just a sign to God that you're all in. One, two, three. Thank you. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for covering our sins, Jesus. And I thank you for these new members of your family, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The second way I want us to respond is if you're here tonight and you want some help and life's been a little exhausting lately, I want you to just do a simple act, and I just want you to open your hands up like this as a simple way of receiving help and saying, God, I need help. So do that right now. If you want to welcome Holy Spirit into your life and say, I just need some help right now, put your hands like this. I'm going to pray over us as a family, as a Caiapha family, and say, we need help together. Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, we ask for help. God, we are attempting to live this life, and it's a hard thing to do, God. But God, we are sick of living a life of anxiety and stress anger, cynicism, worry. God, we want to live a life of your fruit, of joy and peace, God. Jesus, we welcome you here tonight. We pray that as we go into worship, God, we can just encounter Holy Spirit once again. In your name, amen.